Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I suspect that many of you had the same experience that I had this morning because of one hour lack of sleep. But I will tell you later more about these things that I had. Thank you, Megan, for the introduction. And I have this privilege to share the gospel with you today. And it's awesome. So as Megan um, shared, Leili and I uh, are from Iran, which is on top of the news these days, unfortunately. And uh, have been living here in Australia almost three and a half years. And both are coming from Islamic background. And um, we have been involved with Farsi-speaking uh, ministries and church in Iran, in Turkey, in Ankara for six years, and here since we came. So almost since 2011, we are involved with Farsi speakers and the ministry among them. And we both are uh, theological students at, at Ridley Theological College, and uh, we are accepted as um, uh, being ordained in the Diocese of Melbourne in the coming February, but the Diocese as us do not announce it generally, but just keep it to yourself. But anyway, so, sorry, Archbishop. So, as you know, we've been traveling through the first letter of uh, uh, Corinthians. Um, it's been 10 weeks so far. Wow, that's a lot. So we are going to land on chapter 10 of this letter today. So together we want to see that what God's message is for us. If, if you remember last week, Phil beautifully preached for us from chapter 10, which uh, reminded us to give up our lives as Christians for the sake of gospel. He made Examples of uh, Paul's life and ministry, that how Paul gave up his, his life and ministry for the sake of gospel. And also he gave us more example of his own ministry and life, that how he gave up his right to tell more jokes in his sermon, but he didn't do that because of the sake of gospel, thankfully. But today, the title of this, uh, as you can see on the screen, this sermon is testing the grace of God. What does it mean? Testing the grace of God. So the word grace, which is the most important and only factor for salvation of a sinful human, which is the God one-sided work. It has nothing to do with our deeds, with our action. It's one-sided grace towards people. As I mentioned, I grew up in Iran, a world where there is no teaching of grace, a world that present Christ, uh, not as son of God, who can save your sin, who can save you from your sin, but as a, just a good person who did good work, as a prophet, a world where you have to work hard and practice religious law to maybe someday be able to 
be saved from God's wrath and eternal uh, punishment. A world where women have no right, as you see these days especially, the tears coming out on our face when we see the sins that women and children are getting killed on the street by the Islamic regime of Iran. And our heart is with them. That makes us to pray for these people, for our people in the world, for our people who are scattered in the world, different countries, but it's still Iranian. A world that a God must be worshipped, who can able to speak in Arabic. So for having relationship with this God, you have to learn Arabic. It is beyond imagination to imagine God's grace in such a world, isn't it? But surprisingly, even in such a world like this that I grew up, we see that God is still working. God is still saving. God is still showing his grace to people like me and to many others to save them from sin, from darkness, to bring them out of this darkness, to give them new life and a new character and a new identity in Jesus, which is wonderful. I have tasted, I have tasted God's grace in my life. I have tasted the sweetness of God's presence in my life for many years since I met Jesus. And I know that most of you have tasted this too. So this is giving us confidence, isn't it? In what? In God's grace. The grace that God has shown to us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. There were also people in the church of Corinth called Corinthians, the famous Corinthians, who were living in a pagan city and a sinful city, but received God's grace as chosen people. But not only us, not only, not only Corinthians, not only other Christians, Thousands of years ago, Israelites, people of Israel, they had been chosen to be God's people. They experienced God's grace who brought them out of captivity of many years in Egypt. They were witness of God's mighty work in their heart, in their lives, and in the salvation that God gave them. But surprisingly, they not only experienced God's grace, they experienced um, God's judgment as well. So verse 1 to 10, here, this chapter, this significant chapter, which was a long reading, is where Paul is starting this chapter with, this phrase, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant that our ancestors, our fathers, were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. 
But what happened at the end? God was not pleased with them. God was not pleased with them, and their bodies scattered in the wilderness. The question is, why God was not pleased with them? What did they do? God was showing His love and grace to these people. What happened? In the Exodus story, we read that Israel was not only miraculously delivered, but uh, they also was guided by God in its journey through the wilderness by means of the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They were all baptized into Moses in the same manner as Corinthians were baptized into Christ. God provided food and water in the wilderness for them. They ate manna and all drank water from the rock. But instead of worshiping this God um, with joyful song, the, the, the song that we sing in the beginning, with the joyful song, what did they, what did they do? They decided to do idolatries. They committed sin during their journey from wilderness to the promised land. Paul uses this example to remind Corinthians to keep themselves away from setting their hearts on evil things, to remind and warn Corinthians and us today in 2022 that all the runners run, but not all win. All the Israelites experience the blessing of the Exodus and divine provision, but not all made it to the promised land. Here Paul names some major sins that Israelites committed after they experienced God's grace. God set them free from the bondage of slavery and gave them a new life, a new um, they became a nation of God, God's nation. But instead of being thankful to this God and obeying and submitting themselves to his law, they decided to walk in sinful and sinful ways and disobedience. They did crazy stuff. The first thing, they preferred and decided to worship idols instead of God who had been faithful to them. They made a golden calf. You read this story. Um, and they, in the presence of this idol and golden calf, they decided to have meals in front of this <laughs> idol. Like Corinthians and the eating of the cultic meals in front of the idols, Paul says that this is something that you do, which is related to what Israelite did in the wilderness. Not only idolatries, they committed sexual immoralities instead of having a holy life, instead of walking in the light that God provided for them. Paul urged Corinthians to keep themselves away from sexual immorality, which is a horrible sin that led to the destruction of 23,000 people in one day in the book of Numbers chapter 25. Not only adultery, not only uh, doing sexual immoralities, they also grumbled. They, 
they grumbled and complained against God. For what? For just saving them? For, prefer, for providing everything for them? They decided to do that. They used every single opportunity that they had to grumble and complain. The Corinthians, like Israel, had grumbled against Paul as Israel did. The Corinthians did that <laughs> against Paul about his leadership, about his teaching, about his correction, about his everything. And sadly, we see that these days, some Christians, church of God, they start to grumble, to complain against each other, against the blessing that God has provided for them, against the leadership at the church, against every single part of the, of the service that we have in, uh, on Sundays or whatever that might be possible, every single opportunity, instead of being a kind of encouragement tool in God's hand for the church, for the kingdom of God to grow, we become grumbled and grumpy people and try to do every single opportunity to grumble. This is what exactly Corinthians did and Israel did. By doing all these things, we see that they tested God's grace. Israel tested, not tasted, tested God's grace. They tested Christ. Instead of submitting themselves to this amazing grace of God, they tested, they put God in test, who has been faithful in his promise, wasn't he? Paul warns the Corinthians against putting the Lord to the test as Israel did in Numbers chapter 21 and were beaten to death by fiery serpents. They rejected manna due to their lack of satisfaction with God's provision. They wanted something else. They wanted something more. They wanted a cheeseburger with a double cheeseburger with a double cheese on top of the uh, the, the burger melting on top with a cold uh, Coke and no sugar preferred. And, uh, and a large chips as a meal. And uh, still playing Monopoly on McDonald's as well. So this is what they wanted. <laughs> Instead of trusting this God who brought them out of this darkness to a new life. This is what they do. There is an expression, another expression in Farsi, in our culture, which says, Test, testing the tested is a big mistake. Testing the tested is a big mistake. Uh, which means when a person has proven themselves to be faithful and committed in a relationship, to question that again will damage this relationship. Let me tell you what it means. God had been faithful in his relationship with Israelites, in his relationship with Corinthians. But what did they do? They tested God's grace and broke this relationship by testing the tested. He had been proven himself to these people, but they wanted to see if God wants uh, still loves them or not. They, wanna, they wanted something more. 
They were free people, but were not submitted to God's mighty hand in their lives. And instead of tasting the sweetness of God's grace, they tested God's grace. God, in the same way, is faithful to you and me. The same way that he was faithful to Israelites, he was faithful to Corinthians. In his relationship with Corinthians, what did he show? He showed his grace and love through Jesus Christ to Corinthians people. And Paul says, do not test Christ. Are you trying to arouse God's jealousy? Are you stronger than him? As a result, Israelites, what happened? We know this story, the saddest story. They wandered in the desert. A journey that should have lasted less than a month took 40 years. And most of them, except Caleb and Joshua, son of Nun, died in the desert. God was guiding them. God was showing himself in a pillar of cloud and fire with them in the wilderness and providing everything for them. But their problem was not guidance. Their problem was not that they didn't have a Google map to find their ways or iPhone to find their ways. The problem that they had was obedience. We as Christians are the temple of Holy Spirit. We have God's word in our hand translated in almost 400, sorry, 704 different languages in the world available to you and to me. And the Holy Spirit guidance in our lives. And these two things, major things in our lives, guide us in our lives and decisions, but very often the problem of Christians in the life is not guidance. Guess what? It's obedience. The obedience and submitting ourselves to God and to His grace. Paul urged Corinthians not to be like their fathers and ancestors. He said, do not be idolaters. Do not commit sexual immorality. You shouldn't test Christ and do not grumble to this pressure in the world that where we live, cause the lessons of the past to be simply ignored, to be forgotten by some Christians. But Paul warns us and Corinthians to remember the lesson that the Israelites learned in the wilderness in order to avoid repeating their mistakes. I've got a question for you. According, a survey of Japanese and American parents revealed much about the values that people in the various culture hold dear. Like my own culture. The question was submitted to these parents, what do you wish most for your children? What do you wish most for your children? And let's see what the answer is. They said the leading response among Japanese parents was that they wanted their children to be successful, which is a reflection of the high value of the Japanese place on park marketplace success. The most frequent answer of American parents, on the other hand, for the children's 
future was happiness. Success from Japanese side, and happiness from American, which means a reflection of Western uh, feel-good culture. I believe this question, if was asked to Iranian parents, uh, in my culture, most of them would give the same answer. What is your answer to this question as parents? What would you wish most for your children? Well, you might have different answers to this question, but God's desire for our lives is this. God's greatest wish, God's greatest desire for his children is neither success or nor happiness. But instead, that we be like him, holy in all we do and do whatever we do for his glory. This is God's desire for us. The problem of Corinthians simply mirrored the problem of the ancient Israel. They were plagued with problems of self-indulgence and instant self-gratification in their liberty that they had. The consequences for the Israelites were serious and dreadful. So Paul wants the Corinthians to avoid the mistake of the Israelites, lest they suffer the same fate. They had the knowledge, but they should have remembered that the knowledge by itself is misleading. That's why he tells us in verse 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. Let me share from my, your, my own experience from you, for you. That's because of the one hour of lack of sleep. So since I met Jesus as a Muslim born in an Islamic country, in an Islamic family, in a Muslim family, I've been faced many temptations, many oppositions, many hard choices, many wilderness in my life. Lely and I uh, had to leave our country in 2013 because of our faith in Jesus. Because the ministry that we were involving in our country with Farsi-speaking people. In that time, I remember that I was tempted to deny God's grace so that I could continue living in my own country, with my own family, with my own people. After leaving Iran, we went to Turkey. We went to Ankara, the capital of Turkey, in the new ministry, new atmosphere. Everything was new to us. But even in that new ministry that we did, we received many oppositions and many threats from Iranian regime. The threat of arrest many times. And I was tempted because of the fear of my family, the fear that I was strange person there, I'm lonely there. I had this fear and the temptation to be quiet and silent instead of caring about gospel, instead of caring about evangelizing this gospel to people around me and caring about their lives. 
I was tempted to ignore my calling and gifts that God has given me, just be saved from the problem that I had. But what gave me courage and strength in that time, in the time of temptation, was that my Savior, Jesus, experienced the same thing in the wilderness. But unlike the Israelite who failed in the temptation in the wilderness, what happened to Jesus? He overcame the temptation in the wilderness. How wonderful is that? In these verses, Paul is not limited to just warning us, don't do that, don't do this, be careful. I don't want you to be ignorant. But also, he's giving us some good news. In a society that is full of pressure and moral corruption, he gives Corinthians and us today in 22 strength and hope to stand against temptation in our lives. It is important to know, according to verse 13 of this passage that is read, these four things are coming from this passage, which is very important to understand and remember in the time of temptation. The first one is temptation and wrong desire plague everyone, not just you. So don't think that you were the only one facing with that. There are many people facing with that. The second one, if others have resisted temptation, if they could stand against it, then I can do it. I can do it too. We can stand against any temptation according to this passage. Why? Because God will help us to resist it. God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He's not tricking us. Every temptation is provided in our lives as an opportunity to do what glorifies God's name, to stand against it. And the fourth one, when we are tempted, God will also provide a way out so we can endure it. On top of all the temptation that I mentioned above, I had a very serious temptation this morning to get out of my bed because one hour of change of the saving the day, Lord, whatever was that, and I grumbled against God, why this Sunday? Why the Sunday that I'm preaching for the first time in English in the congregation and I would have one hour of shortage of sleep? I was... I was grumbling to God and I set my alarm 6.30 and I snooze, 6.30, snooze, 40, snooze, five more minutes, five more minutes, five more five minutes. And then I had, I had this temptation to sleep more. But thinking of some other people like Ben and Megan and people who are coming to the 8 a.m. service gave me strength to see if they overcame it, they must have, I hope so. <laughs> I can do it too. There are some other people that they did it. So I can do it too. But that was not enough. Oh, let me think more. And then God provided a way for me. How? Through my lovely wife, Laylee, kicking me out of the bed. So <laughs> this was the way that God provided for me to 
to overcome my temptation and get a cold uh, shower. So see, God is providing something for you. I don't know what kind of temptation you're dealing with at the moment, but trusting God and remembering that God's power is available through His Holy Spirit to you and me, to every single Christian who believes in God, to help us to stand against any temptation, any temptation in our lives. This is God's grace. This is God's grace for our lives. We cannot do anything like without His grace, without His power in our lives. I don't know how to come back, but just leave it there. We have seen that adultery was a serious problem in Corinth. There were several famous idols in the city. As Ben mentioned, more than even 7-Elevens we have here in Melbourne. Everywhere, these temples, stone or wooden idols were nothing in themselves. But people gave them characteristics that were specific to God and worshipped these things instead of the true God. In many cultures today, like Iranian culture, uh, as it was in the ancient world, meals are very significant. When we have meals in Iranian culture, it's very significant. And I hope that you, uh, some days we have this opportunity to invite you to Iranian meal, and we see that how significant is that, and how massive is the, uh, is the kebabs and the food that we provide. But it's very significant. Some experience that. So, to eat at the same table is not just eating. It's not just the food. It's not just the spending time. It means more. What it means, it means that indicates the friendship and the fellowship of these people together. It's, it's much deeper than a meal that we have. So it at a table, it was same at the like Corinthians time as well. So to eat at the table of pagan temple was not as innocent that it seemed. To eat at a pagan temple banquet was to have fellowship at the altar of idols. Paul's point may seem unclear to us today, but it was very plain and clear to Corinthians at that time. The pagan sacrifices to idols in Corinth were a tough issue for the church of Corinth in that time. They had many questions. Does a believer eat the meat using the such sacrifice when it's resold in the market? Uh, does one go to dinner in a person's house when the, they might use the, these meats? So idolatry was not merely a theological issue or theoro theori theoretical, I don't know how to say that, but issue in Corinth, but it was a real life problem in the church of Corinth. But Paul has just demonstrated the consequences of adultery in the story of Israel, and he doesn't want Corinthians to uh, experience that. Participation in the Lord's Supper, this is what, what we celebrate at the church. This table is providing opportunity for us to have fellowship in a communal way with each other as the body of Christ and also 
the fellowship with Christ, with God who has given us this grace. So it's not just a table. Why we say that we don't put anything on the table? I love these values of the Anglican structure, especially for uh, the Lord's Supper, that we respect that. Why it should be respected? Because we bound to Christ by showing that, by celebrating that, the bread and wine, body and blood of Christ in our lives. So imagine that these Corinthians were at the table of pagan, doing this banquet with pagan. What happens? They're showing the fellowship with this world, these idols, which is completely different from what they uh, are supposed to do, the fellowship with God and the holy life that they had to do, they had to have. But on the other hand, considering the culture and the context is important for us today and Corinthians then to understand, to know what is wrong and what is right to do. It might be a little bit tricky because uh, we've got some different examples of, of that, but let me give you an example of, quickly from my own experience. As I mentioned, I'm from Islamic background, but a country where paganism is still practicing and people in the, in the month of Muharram, which, which was last month, was it last month Muharram or two months ago, whatever, every year, one month, they prepare food for idols, which are the dead prophets of Islam, and they offer these foods to these dead people and celebrate that, and then, and then they distribute this food to the society, to people, to celebrate this. In my many years of ministry, I have encountered many strange situation and question that I'm going to share some of them with you from those who have been converted from Islamic thoughts and belief to Christianity. Questions like this, can I eat this food as Christian? Can I, what should I do if someone invites me to a party this, where this food are uh, served? Should I go or not? What if, uh, should I accept it if someone comes to my door and knock my door and brings the food to my door, should I accept it or not? Can I go to the mosque for participating in my, uh, my best friend's funeral where Quran is read and mullahs and uh, teachers are uh, praying in Arabic? Can I go there or not? Well, you may think the answer to this question is easy. No, you can't but it's not that much easy. This is the gray area that is very complicated to answer these questions. Why? Because of that. Paul says, it's anything sold in the market without raising a question of conscience. For the earth is Lord's and everything in it. If an believer invites you to a meal, eat whatever is put before you without raising a question of conscience, for why am I freedom being judged by another conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? But on the other hand, he doesn't stop here. He says, if someone says to you, this food are 
has been offered in the sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of others' persons' conscience, not yours. He continues, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greek, Aussie, Indian, Vietnamese, Japanese, Iranian, nobody, or the church of Christ, the church of God. Obviously, Paul's rule here is to do what is good for others, not for himself. It is hard to answer this question. But when we consider others, when we consider the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can have some answer, some possible answer to these questions. I want to give you a shocking, it was shocking for me, but it might be for you as well, that the multiple choice is a feature of our lives that we encounter every day with. An academic at the University of Minnesota has con Included this um, basis of the extensive search that we all face between 300 to 17,000 decisions every day. 300 to 17,000 decisions every day. I'm not sure how many have you made so far by coming to the church, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of transportation you take, what kind of even in the break time, should I, have drink, should I drink coffee or tea? Uh, who should I chat with? Or other decisions. That's a massive number, isn't it? That's a massive <laughs> number. So some of the choices are insignificant in our lives. For example, where should I get my lunch from? Should I get it from McDonald's or from Hungry Jack? I would have given order from Burger King if I, if I was in Turkey, because I love Burger King, but we don't have Burger Kings here. So, or other, are there insignificant choices? Where should I fill up my car? With which petrol station should I fill up my car with a cheaper price? Please just let me know if you have fun born. But, <laughs> but these are insignificant, might be insignificant choices. But as we learned over the past two weeks, we have liberty in Christ and we are free to eat whatever we want or we can order wine or juice, whatever we want at the restaurant. But we should be careful that some of our insignificant choices in our life might be significant effects and impacts on some other people. We should consider other people as well. We should consider other people's culture. We should consider other people's um, assumption. We should consider our neighbor. We should consider people's maturity in understanding Christianity and liberty in the Christianity. We don't want to, because we live for the sake of gospel, don't we? Back in chapter 8, Ben preached this Topic And it seems that at the end of this chapter, Paul is going back to that matter. He says that I have right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Most of people in the world, they want to be number one. They want to take the first place. They want to win every single competition in their world. They want to have the best uh, job. They want to have the best income. They want to have the best and the top one, top uh, uh, stages and priority in the world. But let me give you an, uh, uh, a true story of a uh, young lady who was a runner named Ariana Lutemann. 
Ariana Luterman. I was so impressed by reading this, but I'll tell you the quickest story of that. Back in 2017, 18-year-old Ariana became the center of the attention of many. Why? I'll tell you why. Because he was selected to compete in the 2017 marathon race, which was said to be her last competition before um, graduating high school, 18 year old. She had participated in a marathon before this, but she had never ha ha have a chance to win the, par par the competition. The race started, she ran fast as, as fast as she could, and she got closer and closer to the finish line. She managed to catch up with uh, the race leader, Chandler, with just one and a half kilometer more to go. Ariana and Chandler were approaching the finish line with a long distance from others in the back. All the cameras were capturing this moment. All the cameras were like the motorcycle cameras. Have you seen them? So they were capturing this moment and they were just getting closer and closer. But suddenly Ariana noticed something wasn't right. Chandler, the race leader, was starting to slow down and slow down only a few hundred meters away from the, as you see on the left picture photo, uh, they started to slow down and suddenly fell down. So that was a great moment for Ariana to win the game, wasn't it? <laughs> to win the race, to just run fast and pass this person and all the wishes come true. I got the championship of this race, the marriage only 2017 before graduating from the high school. But something strange happened here. She suddenly stopped. Ariana stopped and decided to stop and help Chandler to back up on her feet and urged her to continue. In a dramatic climax, we see in the right picture that Ariana stood behind Chandler and urging her to cross the finish line to win the first place. What a great story and example of showing love to others, isn't it? What a great story of caring about others. What a great story of giving up our absolute right to win before the sake of others. Paul was a good example in that. Paul was a good example of a Christian life, not because of his own benefits. He was not seeking that. He was thinking of others so that they may be saved. But the question is, where did he learn this from? From his master, his savior, Jesus, who didn't, who was not seeking his own uh, benefit, but he died for me, for you, for Corinthians, for many others to be saved. This is the way that God shows his grace to you and me. So, so then, as Christian, as the body of Christ, who are experiencing this grace, what we do, this is what we need to do. Whatever, whatever we order at the restaurant, whatever we go, whatever we do, whatever we drink, whatever we eat, should be used to glorify 
this God who has been faithful and graceful to us. We are living in a multicultural world at the moment in Australia, which is beautiful. But remembering that we might have different citizenships from different countries or even Australia or other countries, but we must remember that we have the passport and citizenship of God's kingdom in our hands. And we should value, we should understand the value of this kingdom and try our best with the power of the Holy Spirit to live according to this kingdom values. Amen.